Good morning. Seasons. Well, you see that? What's it say? Now, I know you look up here and you say, that is an awesome band, isn't it? But we're adding to our numbers and musicians, we'd love for you to join the band. Uh, piano players, guitar players, drums, drummers. Uh, if you would be willing to say, hey, I could do that, and you really, really can, uh, would you see me? <laughs> well, not the majority of you, but some of you that think you can't, can. Uh, would you see me after the service? Because I would love to add you to uh, people that might do this up here every now and then. Okay, would you do that? Shake your heads, yes. Okay, we're in a series, we're actually finishing it up today, uh, called Seasons, and yes, this proves you can wear white after Labor Day. You will see this jacket year-round, just like in the winter, you will see the top down on my car. There is nothing like a sleigh ride in my car in the winter, especially when the snow is coming down and my top is down. So who wrote those rules anyway? about white after Labor Day and you don't put your top down in the winter. I don't know, there are just some rules. There are some rules I am gonna keep. I can tell you that. It says it in the Word, but I didn't see anything about white and uh, convertibles in the Word of God. So I can break those rules, right? <laughs> okay, well, so we're finishing up our series and interestingly, we've had five weeks of seasons uh, <laughs> now, what's with that? We already broke through. We only have four seasons, right? But uh, you look at those Cubs. They won in overtime, didn't they? And uh, remember I told you life is like four quarters, like a basketball game. Uh, zero to 20 is the first, first quarter of life. 20 to 40 is the second quarter of life. When you're at 40, you're at halftime. 40 to 60 is third quarter. And 60 to 80 is fourth quarter. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then anything over that is just bonus. Well, sometimes you have to wait till that last stretch to uh, win the game. In the fourth quarter and overtime, a lot of times, the game is won and lost. So we need to hold out, don't we? We need to live well so that even if we're in overtime, uh, we can still win the game, and that's what life is all about. So we finish up our series of seasons today, and we're calling it today Seasons of Decisions. Now, we knew that this week would fall on uh, this week. <laughs> is that brilliant? We are brilliant. <laughs> but what is probably on the minds of most people? today. Yes, we're going to elect our POTUS, aren't we? Well, Solomon said, there is a time and a season for every activity under heaven. And we've been taking a look at that. And that activity that we have coming up is, is on the minds of most Americans today. Now, I know that you're like me, you're going to be so sad that this campaigning is going to be over. <laughs> I mean, how are we going to live without it, are we? But uh, <laughs> on Wednesday, it'll just begin with something else, most likely. But the reality of it is we are in a season of decision. And throughout our lifespan, we will always enter into seasons of decisions. 
no matter how old you are, from the time that you're a little, you can probably walk where you're taking instruction from parents, you have to learn to make a decision to either obey or not obey. And when we take our last breath, most likely we'll be making decisions. So throughout our lifespan, we make decisions. But particularly us right now, we're in a season of decision that all of us have in common. Now, some of you have had to decide, do I vote or do I not vote? And in, it's been a legitimate kind of question. To vote or not to vote, that's the question. Uh, others have had to decide, um, do I, you know, oh, I wanted to say about my uh, father-in-law. He was talking about, he was struggling with that question. Do I vote or not vote? And then, and then I said, but Jim, if you don't vote, then you can't bellyache after the election, and so you might as well go ahead. <laughs> but anyway, he, he, loves, he loves to do that, and I love to do it with him. But anyway, for other people, the decision is, who do I vote against? Uh, that's kind of like what people have been talking about. And then other people say, well, you know, do I, do I ignore the candidates, and do I just kind of look at the party and pull things out with that that I can really give my life to? We are, we are faced with intense decisions when it comes to this uh, electing our POTUS. But I wonder if, you know, we've all come here, and it's kind of a given that when we come here, we call on God's Holy Spirit to be here. So that means that we're sitting in the presence of God together. We can sit in the presence of God anywhere we are. But when we come together like this, and particularly this way, it's unique. It's different because we're worshiping corporately and we're sitting in the presence of God. And I just wonder if we could step back and if we could breathe for a moment, knowing that this is looming and it's it's pending that decision out there. But if we could just forgo all the political stuff and just begin to get a broader perspective than what our world generally says that we need to have. Now, don't get me wrong. Politics are important, but I, they never raised anyone from the dead. Now, that's not my quote. I heard that this week. But think on that for a moment. Politics are important, but they never raised anybody from the dead. That means that there is someone that has a broader perspective that we need to get our eyes on and take a look at in these seasons of decision that all of us go through. So instead of looking at a particular choice that we need to make, I would really like to pull us back and get a broader perspective of the path that we take in order to arrive at that choice. The decisions, how, in, in other words, how do you make decisions? How do I make decisions? And it's worth us kind of taking a look at that because the way that we make decisions is so much more important than the decision because, and God is so, uh, he, he, this matters to God because that is what flows out of our heart. You see, the way we make our decisions, the why, the why, how we make our decisions is more important than the what, the actual choice, because what flows out of our heart is our spirit and our attitude, and that is what matters to God, our spirit and our attitude. 
And somewhere in the midst of what the world tells us we need to focus on, we forget about that. But that's what really matters to God. Seasons of decisions come and go throughout our, our lifetime. So we need to be prepared whenever any activity under heaven presents itself that we know exactly how, what pathway we're going to take to arrive at a decision. Now, the adult brain is capable of firing hundreds of thousands of decisions a day, really. You know, you can look up how many decisions does a person make in a day, and you'll find anywhere from 70 to thousands. Now, they say that a child will make about 300 decisions a day, which means that an adult will make more than that, but we really can't know. We, we literally can't know. We just know that we are capable of making lots of decisions and lots of judgments in a day. And they range from the minor to the complex. There are trivial decisions that we make. Now, what are some of the trivial decisions that we make? What shoes to wear. Yes, last night, Buddy said, what shoes to buy. He struggles with that. What, who, what de oh, to put deodorant on? <laughs> I thought it was what deodorant to use, but Bobby says whether or not to put deodorant on. <laughs> okay, what's another one? What to eat. Where are we going to eat today? Are we going to have Italian? Are we going to have Mexican? These are trivial decisions that we make every day. You've probably made, uh, I don't know, a couple hundred already before you even got here today, trivial ones. And then there are those moral decisions that we make. We have to decide, is this good? Is this bad? Is this evil? We make those decisions. Am I going to tell the truth and fess up to what I did and take the consequences? Or am I just going to kind of shade the truth? We're making those decisions on a regular basis. And then there are those decisions that we have to prioritize. Is this good or is this better or is this the best and we're making those kinds of decisions all of the time. And my question that I want us to look at today is how do we arrive at that choice that we make? What's the pathway that we take? Well, there was a soldier doing KP duty, and uh, he had a job of sorting potatoes. And the mess sergeant said to him, take all the good potatoes and throw it in that container and take all the bad potatoes and throw it in that container. And two hours later, the, the sergeant comes back and the soldier is just staring at one potato. There's none in either container and there's still a mountain of potatoes. And, and he, says, he says, soldier, is the work too hard for you? And he said, no, the work isn't too hard. It's making that decision. And we have to make decisions like that all the time, every day. And, and we hardly even are aware that we're making so, decision, so many decisions. But I can tell you this, decision-making and how to make decisions is very popular. If you go online, you'll see all kinds of research, all kinds of articles, all kinds of videos. I mean, I looked at two TED Talks alone, and there was a myriad, there was a mound of decision-making kinds of things that you could look at. Two TED Talks alone had five million views. That was just two. So decision-making and how to make decisions is something that people struggle with. Now, uh, researchers do a lot of study on it. They study how we make decisions. Do you know that? 
And then they tell the marketers, and the marketers make a lot of money off of us knowing something about us that we don't even know ourselves because there are patterns to the way we make decisions. And, the, and people have patterns, and so they study that, and then they figure out how to make a, you know those little impulse items that the, in the grocery store as you're checking out and you have to wait and you're so ticked off because you have to wait? Well, you're picking up those little things, that chapstick, it doesn't cost very much, oh, I need that. Well, those are impulse buys, and they know that about you, they know that about us, that they can have something for less than a dollar and make lots of money off of us. There are patterns, they know us better than we know ourselves. So we have to get a broader perspective and say, how am I making my decisions? Well, there was a study, and they studied CEOs, and they found that CEOs were making their decisions in nine minutes or less. Uh, 50% of their decisions were made in nine minutes or less, and only 12% were made in an hour or more. So they were learning to make their decisions very quickly. And the question for us is, how long are we taking to make some very important decisions in our life? Are we like the CEO that's just, I can tell you, I made the most, one of the most important decisions of my life in about two minutes. It was when I was young and foolish, and I just made it, yeah, that'd be fun to do one day, and I got married. <laughs> We can make some really important decisions in a very short period of time and not take the time to put a lot of thought in. And it can take us down a road that will get us to where we don't want to be. Well, that got me into a lot of trouble, but I determined, you know what? I got myself in this, and I've got to do whatever it takes to make it work. And now it's almost 42 years. So that, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, because it's been tough. But I don't, I don't think that we need to make those kinds of decisions that quick because getting myself out of that and getting to, to a healthy place in that has been really, really tough. And, and so we have to take a look at how we're making our decisions. There was an experiment. Well, let me, uh, let me say in America, we have a problem of choice overload. Choice overload. You see, we make decisions, and then our decisions make us. And, and have you ever gone to the store? I'll never forget when I went to buy a can of soup, and I saw this. I mean, it, there are some stores that have up to 250 items of one thing. And if you go, I mean, it's like, where do I begin with this? Choice overload. Well, of course, they did an experiment on this. There was a store that had 348 kinds of jam, and they set up two jam-tasting tables. And on one, they put 24 choices of jam-tasting, and on the other, they put six choices. Now, it was really interesting because what they found was 60% of the people went to the table that had the 24 choices. And only 40% of the people went to the table that had the six choices. Now, what does that say? That says that people are attracted to lots of choices, right? But here's what they found. When they found it came to buying that jam, the actual opposite was true. 30% went to the table with six and bought jam, and only 3% went where there were all the choices. 
Now, did you follow that? If you do the math, people were six times more apt to go to where they had fewer choices and pull the trigger. And what that says to me is that we have a myriad of ways to make our decisions. Some people will say, oh, you know, I just follow my gut. Or other people will say, well, you know, it just feels right to me. Or some people will say, well, you know, I watch and the majority of the people are doing it that way, so it must be the right way. Or other people will say, well, you know, the circumstance just dictates that I do it this way. So we have lots and lots of choices in how we can make our decisions. But what we find is that the more choices we have, the more confused we become, the less likely we are to pull the trigger, the more apt we are to make decisions, in a, really important decisions in a really short time and get really stuck in other decisions because we're taking too long. And that's what happens to us. And what the studies have shown is that bad decisions are always made when we follow our feelings. Because I can tell you this, we cannot trust our feelings. They will go up and down based on circumstances and they, they'll change. So if we're basing our decisions on our feelings, we're gonna get lost. Bad decisions are made when we allow our circumstances to guide us. When we say, well, I'm in this situation and everything that I can read about this, the logic of this tells me that I need to do that. That gets us in trouble. And likewise, if we look to popular opinion, which that's what our media, that's what our world is telling us to do, here's the majority, you need to go with the majority because if you go with the majority, then you're gonna go down the road that wins. It's a big fat lie. Because if we follow popular opinion, it's going to take us down a road that we may not want to be. Now, in Exodus 28, I couldn't believe that this little passage popped out at me this week as I was doing my study. Exodus 28, of all places, to be inspired, we see that God shows us the significance that he places on decision-making. How important it is for us to step back and take a look at how we make decisions, not just the choice we make, but how we make them. Now, Moses had given the Ten Commandments, and it was a time after that, and they had chosen priests, and Aaron was one of the priests. And, and uh, he was given the responsibility over the tribes of Israel to make really good decisions and judgments because God loved the people. He saw everybody as, as equal, and it didn't matter whether they were wealthy or poor. It didn't matter. God loved the people, and so he put Aaron in this place of decision-making. Let's read this together. Whenever Aaron enters the holy place, he would go into the holy place, he would bear the names of the sons of Israel over his heart on the breastpiece of decision as a continuing memorial before the Lord. So in other words, he took 12 stones. The name of each tribe of Israel was engraved in that stone. And the chief priests would have this breast piece, a piece of ornamental cloth, and they would stick those stones in and over their heart and go into the holy place. 
And they would be responsible over those people to make good and wise decisions. And now the scripture, it says, also put the Urim and the Thummim. Now, no one really knows exactly what that is, but what they do know was they put that in the breastplate as well, and it represented light and integrity. That when those decisions were to be made, it, they need to be made in the light and with integrity, with truthfulness and with honesty. And so Aaron went in with this over his heart and in the breastpiece. So they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord, just like we are here right now. <clears throat> Thus, Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. Now the high priest wore this breastpiece and and it was very significant because when he went in there, it gave him assurance that God's will would be made known to him. When he went in there, he was just a human. He had to rely on the fact that he was meeting with God and that he was sincere with integrity and in the light of God that he would take seriously making decisions that would influence and affect other people. You see, it's the same for us. We wouldn't even be talking about this if making decisions wasn't a serious responsibility. Because every decision that you and I make has an influence and an impact on somebody else's life. It would be really nice if I could just do this thing and it only affected me. But it's not true. Because every decision that we make has an impact on somebody else's life. It has the power to ripple out into other people, into the future, and even into future generations. It's amazing if you study, I look at even decisions that I've made in my life and how that had an impact on the future and 40 years down the road, how it still has made a difference. I know one major decision I made in my life and if I would not have made that decision, we would not be here today. Boy, when you think about that, you've got decisions like that that you've made as well. When you think about it like that, it's almost like Aaron and God telling Aaron, when you make your decisions, make sure that you're doing them with integrity and in the light of God because they're very, very powerful. And so I thought, well, what is our baseline? How can we know how to make our decisions? Well, for me, the very first place I turn is to Jesus. And here's what I know about Jesus. You can see the consistency of what he did throughout the Bible when he made decisions. The first thing that he would do would be he was in a habit of turning to his heavenly father, the very first thing. He turned to his heavenly father. And you can see in the scripture here. It said, on one of those days, now this was a decision that, that Jesus had to make about choosing his disciples. It was going to be very important. We're still talking about them today. 
Future generations are still talking about this decision that, that Jesus made. And so what did he do? Well, it says that on, the, on these days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray. And he spent the whole night praying. This was a pretty significant decision that he was about to make. Now, he could have just gone with those guys, and he could have said, you, 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 and you, and who knows how the course of history would have been changed, but that's not what he did. He said, he, Jesus was God, but what did he have to do? He had to go to his heavenly Father first. That was his habit, just like that. And then it says, simply, when morning came, he called for the disciples to come to him, and then he chose the 12. Well, what did Jesus do? He turned to his heavenly father first. He took time. He prayed all night. For some of us, for me, sometimes it's days. And this doesn't matter if we're buying a car or buying a house or we're making any kind of decision in our life. When we're in a season of decision, what are our habits? What are we relying on? Well, Jesus relied on going to his heavenly father, and he relied on, I need to get quiet, and I need to listen. I need to listen to my authority. And that was his heavenly father. And then, when he heard from him, he got up and he took action. Because we need to follow through with whatever it is that God has shown us. You see, good decision-making takes time. If somebody's trying to hasten you into making a quick decision, you need to see that as a red flag. You don't have to make those decisions impulsively. I don't care if it's, uh, again, buying a car, if it's going to a church, if it's whatever. It takes time, and it takes being in the habit of going to our Heavenly Father and being com in communication with Him. Likewise, if we're stuck, if we're paralyzed in making decisions, maybe we're waiting too long. Maybe, maybe we're relying on our own instead of really listening to what God's word and what he's saying to us. Jesus spent the night praying, and then he took action because he heard from God. Well, you just might say, well, I, I just don't hear God's voice. A lot of people will say that, but God promises. He promises that he will be made known to you. You can know him. You can hear him. If we're not hearing him, maybe we're not spending enough time. Maybe we're not calming down. Maybe we're not reading his word quite enough. Because the scripture clearly says, in the past, God spoke to the prophets. And he spoke to them in different ways and at many different times. But in these days, these last days that we're living in, here's what he said. He's spoken to us through his son. Jesus. Jesus is available to each one of us. If you're not in a relationship with him, you won't hear his voice. But before you leave today, you can be in relationship with him and you can begin to listen and to recognize his voice because he says, my sheep recognize my voice and when I call to them, they'll hear me. It's a promise. And so what we have to do is look within ourselves and say, What's, what may be blocking me hearing his voice? Slow down. Pay attention. We can know God 
through Jesus. We hear him and we can recognize him. You see, all relationships take time and they take good communication. You know, Buddy and I would never have made it this far if we didn't commit to taking the time to making this relationship work. If we didn't continually work on our communication, I'm telling you, after 42 years, we're still trying to figure it out. I think that's why we stay at each other, with each other. It's kind of sick because we say, we're going to figure this out before we die. (laughs) And we are. But relationships are that way. And so if you're not nurturing your relationship with Jesus Christ, you're not going to hear it. Secondly, Jesus also was in line and under the authority of God's word, not the other way around. One of the famous things that people are doing in this day and age is taking the word and trying to make it fit to what they want to do in their lives. Instead of kneeling before the Lord as Jesus did and said, God, I am under the authority of your Holy Spirit. I am under the authority of your word and I will be transformed to be more like you not the other way around. And that's going to be painful for you because changing our hearts is painful. But Jesus did that. And the Bible says, the word is your lamp to your feet and the light to your path. Sometimes you only get one more little step and he won't show you what to do next until you take that step. You're stepping into the unknown, but clearly, that's the light that God's talking about. That's the light that we need when we make our decisions. And you know what will happen when we make a habit of turning to our Father first, of, put, of coming under the authority of his word and, and listening to him? We'll develop discernment. Discernment is, is a gift that God gives, but it's something that each of us can fine-tune in our lives. Watch this. Discernment. Seeing and understanding people, things, and situations clearly and intelligently. How do you know what is right and what is wrong? Or what is wise or unwise? First, we have to prepare. Being adequately prepared allows us to make more informed choices. Second, we have to make careful consideration of our options. Choosing the best path that is set before us. This allows us to make decisions based on careful thought rather than impulse. These ingredients of discernment, coupled with clear intellectual reflection, allows us to make the best choices. But even with all of our careful time and preparation, we still fall. Sometimes we mess up. We take the wrong path. 
But what's most important is what we do next. We get back up. We rise above it. We live to fight another day. We learn from our mistakes. And we try again. We succeed. We mature. We improve. And discernment grows stronger within us. When we make it a habit of turning to God first, when we listen to Him, when we spend time with Him, when we do nurture our relationship with Him, we'll hear from Him. And you know what that develops? It's something that everybody wants, confidence. You will develop confidence in your relationship with God. You'll develop confidence in your ability to make decisions. You won't be defensive. You won't be wimpy. When you've, when you've learned to hear from God and you know that you know that you know that you know that you've spent time and when you've gotten up, this is the action that he's asked you to take. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks because you've been spending that time with him. <coughs> kind of like, um, well, you'll be ready to give an answer for the decision that you've made. Not because you just decided or it just felt right, but because you've, on the pathway, spent time with God. And you know. Sort of like when I was with Jackson at Belvedere, and he said, so Nana, who are you going to vote for? <laughs> well, I had spent time with God. I knew I had to. Because I want to be a good citizen. <laughs> and I truly had decided not to vote. And it wasn't because it was against anyone or anything. It was just my conscience. I just had to follow my conscience not to vote. And I felt at peace with that choice. It didn't matter what anyone else judged that to be. It was where I was at peace. But I wanted to keep an open mind. And I said, God, at any moment, you can change my heart. I am under your authority. I want to be who you want me to be. I want to make decisions the way you'd have me to make decisions. I want to be a good citizen and render unto Caesar what's Caesar's and render unto God what's God, God's. That's who I want to be even on Wednesday, God, no matter what the outcome is. And so before Jackson had asked me that, I had already spent time with God. I had already been through that process. And God showed me something. Even after I had decided not to vote, I knew the moment that he spoke to me about my choice. Now, that's not the choice that you may make. Not voting is a choice that is not deserved to be judged. Whatever you do is between you and God, but I knew the moment of what he showed me, he even gave me a scripture. And this little stone here represents that scripture. It represents the stone over the heart with integrity and with light that I will carry throughout the next week. This is mine. And I hope that you have done the same. Whatever decision Whatever season of decision you find yourself in, this is our baseline. 
This is our choice. It's Jesus to turn to him, to spend time with him, to listen to him. And you know what will happen? You will get discernment for the next decision. And you will develop confidence. And when somebody asks you like Jackson asked me, you will be ready to give your answer. But you'll do it with gentleness and kindness and respect. It's not the kind of decision that I say, you need to vote this way, or you need to not vote, or you need to do it my way. No, it's not defensive, it's not wimpy, it's not disrespectful. 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be ready to give an answer for what's giving you hope. Are the candidates giving me hope? No, my hope is in Jesus Christ. And I've met with him, and I've been with him, and I have confidence and I hear his voice. And you know what the byproduct of all that is? A peace that you can never explain. Because it doesn't matter what anyone else says or does. Because the, the Bible says, because of the tender mercy of our God, he'll guide our feet into the path of peace. And he, I love this. It says, righteousness and peace kiss each other. But here's a great one. Great peace have they who love the law. Now, what's the law for us? Love God, love people, right? That's what Jesus said. What's the law for us? Love God, love people. And it says, great peace have they who love God and love people, and nothing can make them stumble. I would love to rise up an army of people who call themselves Christ followers that live by that. You see, God gave us all free will. We can do anything we want. I can do anything I want. If I want to have an affair, I can do that. If I want to wear white after Labor Day, I can do that. You and I were given the gift of free will. We can do whatever we want. But we need to think about that. It's a blessing but it's also very, very dangerous. Are we making important decisions in less than nine minutes? Because God has allowed us to be the CEO of our own life. Are we making those decisions in nine minutes or less? Or are we taking time to line up with God's word, to listen to his voice? It's a huge responsibility because every decision we make affects somebody else. So I've put some stones up here. I don't know if you grasp what I'm talking about or not, but it's been a beautiful opportunity for me to study this and to really listen for God's voice. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've decided to follow Jesus. I'm a citizen of another country, of another kingdom, of heaven, and he's counting on me to be faithful. And I'm going to be. I'm just going to be. I'm going to be faithful to him. I'm going to be faithful to my husband. I'm going to be faithful to the call that God placed on my life many, many years ago. And I enjoy a peace. Is it easy? It is absolutely horrifying sometimes. The difficulty and the suffering that goes along with that is not for wimps. But I've chosen to do that. And on Wednesday, I'm going to render unto Caesar what's Caesar's. I'm going to render unto God what's God's, but I'm not going to be one bit different no matter what the outcome is. 
still a citizen of the kingdom, still a citizen of the United States. So let's stand together. We're going to sing this song, and it says, I've decided to follow Jesus. And if you want to have light and integrity in your seasons of decisions, come on up and get a stone and carry it with you throughout this next week. <laughs>